those days uh, digital marketing was not uh, really there so it was more about the traditional marketing channels uh, while all the uh, market nuances of marketing still exist it was the channels were quite different you taught me a new term today which i was not familiar with uh, erv you said right yes so let's just dig a little deeper into what this means if you increase your retention rates by let's say 5% it would mean it would uh, kind of uh, increase the profitability of the organization for anything ranging from 20 to 90% wow. Hi and welcome to yet another episode of the State of Retention Marketing podcast. Today we have here Mrs. Azmat Habibullah. She's had a 25 plus years of experience across diverse domains, including the last 16 in the banking industry. It's a complex world out there and the kind of learning curve she's demonstrated in terms of being able to talk about cohorts and martech stacks is quite phenomenal. To start with, how about we ask Azmat to just give us a bit of a glimpse into her journey. I started my uh, journey, uh, my career in FMCG. a uh, very interesting uh, phase of my life uh, the first uh, job and fmcg is extremely exciting from a marketer's point of view uh, of course uh, those days uh, digital marketing was not uh, really there so it was more about the traditional marketing channels uh, while all the uh, market nuances of marketing still exist it was the channels were quite different so that was my first phase of my career uh, in brands like miswak babool promise uh, some of them are uh, still existing and on the shelves and taken over by dabar uh, after that i kind of ventured into bfsi uh, starting from um island fs investmart and then heading on to icsi bank um a major part of my career was with icsi bank over 15 years where i have headed several business groups ranging from um sme to international banking group all the uh, various countries uh, uh, nri remittances uh, to transaction banking global markets group corporate banking group private banking and this word everything that possibly rural. could be right there's a Not fairly wide spectrum <laughs> departments <laughs> and now i'm uh, for a year and a half as cmo in south indian bank again extremely exciting uh, uh year i mean i'm kind of uh, uh, in charge of the overall marketing across the bank including corporate mm. communication and we have an immense journey to move uh, ahead with uh, this is a legacy bank of 94 years it has a very rich history we have customers who have been with us for three generations so a completely different uh, banking setup uh, out here uh, with different uh, challenges uh, but a very exciting uh, way ahead so it's been great so far and i'm looking forward to uh, a great run here Awesome. So very interesting the way you've had a fairly diverse view across the different parts of the banking ecosystem. You know what I would love to zoom into now that you're at the helm of marketing at a banking kind of uh, platform. What does the charter of a CMO look like? What are the different ways in which you break down your things that you are supposed to take care of? Very simply put, uh there uh, there are a couple of facets of marketing. 
at an overall level the brand itself which is very important and uh, adding value and creating a larger brand value that's at a very broad level breaking it up into finer um, uh, you know functions uh, given that we are a bank a very very important kra for marketing is of course acquiring new customers creating new channels for acquisition especially the digital channels which can be a, a very strong acquisition channel for business uh, in my erstwhile uh, uh, organization uh, for nri businesses uh, digital marketing was contributing to 90% of the Uh, leads acquisition. Uh, for yeah. acquisition uh, because uh, there was no feet on street uh, in international market so uh, it it has a potential of being a very great uh, acquisition uh, contributor so that's one of the key important objectives of course uh, existing customers and creating great value and extracting the maximum value of your existing customers which we term as erv existing relationship value is of, of course a very very important function and uh, like i said uh, uh, in a industry like banking uh, it's about uh, you know the customer continuously using us so it's not just about acquiring an account it's about being the primary banker for the customer so retention in that sense is much more important than it would be in many other industries sure Yeah. yeah well which is exactly where i thought that i'm sure there'd be learnings for multiple other industries while this is a banking industry conversation so you taught me a new term today which i was not familiar with uh, erv you said right yes so let's just dig a little deeper into what this means how do you calculate this what is a great erv going to look like uh, and you know how do you measure it so erv simply uh, it means existing relationship value it what mm-hmm. it means is uh, what is the value that you can extract from your existing customers sure. and uh, what is the lifetime value that you can get from an existing customer i'll just uh, uh, like to first throw some data points which is basically industry data itself mm-hmm. um a customer um you are uh, you know getting um a new customer to transact with you is five times more expensive than getting an existing customer to Uh, transact with you or uh, cross sell another product sure. uh, uh, that's one data point um in terms of profitability uh, if you increase your retention rates by let's say 5% it would mean it would uh, kind of uh, increase the profitability of the organization from anything ranging from 20 to 90% wow. so that's the so uh, you know value of uh, retention pitches that guys take this more seriously yeah. but you know so in our world when we talk about uh, so we're very familiar with e-commerce spaces right so the way the contribution margin works and how delivery fees have to be taken out and logistics costs have to be taken out and then you have a contribution margin with some totals to the lifetime value that we get into in case of the banking uh, ecosystem i would have a savings account with you i might have a credit card with you i might have a car loan with you i might have a home loan with you could be a variety of things so which each of these contributions what is the math of the relationship value i mean are you looking at purely what the account balance is probably not the answer so what is the metric of value here right there there are several uh, metrics out here mm-hmm. so at an overall level uh, it would be the relationship value which is a sum total of all the relationships that you would have at the bank level across multiple products uh, of course the number of products per customer which we uh, call p2c is extremely important again in terms of customer retention uh, for every new 
product that is sold to an existing customer that customer is three times more likely to be uh, you know retained or the retention level increases by 3x of that customer so and stickiness increases sure. so uh, if you have a single product relationship with a customer uh, we are very vulnerable to you know lose that customer at any time sure so that's the constant endeavor in a bank is to uh, have um, uh, a multiple product relationship that's a very important metrics uh, of course the overall profitability of the customer is an important metrics uh, which uh, inter it's not only about the balances but it's also about several factors like number of transaction value of transactions uh, so on asset relationships so that's predominantly the things. is that the profitability no 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 it's a, it's no it's a bank uh, it's at but a by having a certain account for the bank and a certain balance in the bank do i make profit for the bank so that's what it's customer. not only about having one balance if you have multiple mm -hmm. relationships if you have a asset relationship you also have a third party relationship which in our case mm -hmm. is insurance and sure. stuff like that where the bank earns fee income in um, uh, you know and all this put together including savings account is where the profitability comes in sure. and that's where lifetime value also gets Absolutely. So, you know, to me, this is a big black box, which is what I'm going to hope to demystify for a lot yeah. of our people today. But what are the highest, let's say, sold products in your ecosystem? Oh, so, definitely the accounts and the deposits uh, are the mm. most, uh, most uh, sold and that would be uh, in in a lot of customers, the entry level products sure. that they, uh, enter, they with. enter with. Of course, the loans is the other big, uh, mm. uh, uh, this offer product, uh, I mean, range of uh, products right from personal loan, gold loan, home loan, vehicle loan. Uh, the entire hmm. portfolio, MSME loans, corporate loans, sure. uh, working capital, everything. Um, and then there are these uh, third party products which would uh, mean insurance, life, non-life and uh, so on. So uh, all this... So fairly large portfolio. Now typically you said the customer would enter from something like a savings account and maybe a salary account. And then from then onwards, his relationship will expand into multiple dimensions. And from the organization's perspective, is this different verticals? So there's somebody who's responsible for, let's say, home loans, somebody else responsible for vehicle loans, somebody else responsible for credit cards. Or how is this uh, organized? Yeah, so we do have separate verticals and we have vertical specialists, mm -hmm. uh, specialists uh, heading those verticals. Uh, we have uh, separate verticals for corporate banking, home loans. Um, sure. uh, secured uh, loans, unsecured loans, uh, the liability part of it, third party. So everything sure. is kind of verticalized. So from your charter perspective, what this would mean is uh, you need to drive demand for each of these products. And who is the audience for each of these products would be a function of some amount of work that this is completely new people coming into the banking ecosystem. Plus, this is a set of people who are in our ecosystem already at a certain level of maturity who are now the perfect audience to be offering, let's say, a car loan to or a vehicle whatever commercial loan to is that how it would look in terms yeah of so see marketing cuts across all these functions right. we uh, uh, it's uh, our uh, uh, kra to look at uh, all the products and the sure. entire uh, gamut of uh, hmm. banking so uh, we do run a lot of segmented campaigns uh, with uh, specific cohorts specific uh, which have been identified uh, for specific products or a specific uh, a transaction for which we are you know running that campaign for it could be anything it could be like a remittance campaign um it could be a promotional campaign like remit and win or remit and retain or stuff like that sure. it could be a, a, a 
pre-approved personal loan campaign, which we are, you know, communicating to a very specific cohort who is eligible for that pre-approved sure. loan. And uh, so that's a fairly uh, comprehensive level of segmentation at play. Yeah, yeah. Which takes me back to a slightly, you know, uh, higher level up question. What was your first interaction with Martech uh, in your journey of 26 years? When did you first start talking the language of cohorts and segmentation and personalization? Yeah, no, no. So, uh, um, talking the language of cohorts and segmentation has been uh, there, uh, um, let's say, since I entered the banking uh, sure. industry. Because you know, generally marketers, I mean, at least in the FMCG ecosystem, are used to creative campaigns, communication, defining an audience segment in terms of women who have kids living in urban cities. That's how you imagine a segment and you want to write an ad and message towards that. But then you have this new world where there's a whole lot of data to deal with. And you're suddenly dealing with too many segments and too many uh, elements. And if you were to do a resonant message with each of them, then it just fragments way too much. So I was curious at what point. So banking industry was that point where uh, the switch happened for you? Yes, you can say that. Uh Um, And uh, specifically in South Indian Bank is where I'm also heading this campaign management. Uh, It's part of, uh, it kind of rolls Mm. into my team itself. Mm. And so here I'm more involved in the... uh, you know, um, Martech, so to say, sure. uh, decision making. <coughs> hmm. So, uh, out. So, this was then, uh, you know, from a maturity curve perspective, if you were to think about how, let's say, the underlying data stacks have to come together, how the business goals have to come together in terms of uh, there are 20 products you could sell, but then there's a certain customer journey which would be more effective than the others. You might have some heuristics around this because of the maturity and the time the team and yourself would have spent, but uh, then there are still experiments to be run. So I would love to understand how is this team organized, which does all of this uh, campaign management. How do they decide priorities? How do they unify the underlying data that, you know, one customer is ultimately one relationship, how many of our different products they sell. And uh, if different teams have different objectives, how do you prioritize that, okay, this is more important slash this is more suited for this segment versus that, because otherwise it can get a complete chaos, right? I mean, as a customer, I might get 20 different product upsell windows in the same day. How do you kind of look at the structure. Yeah, so let me just break it up into uh, a couple of parts. So firstly, uh, uh, in terms of how we our uh, campaign management is structured, uh, over the last uh, year and a half, we've kind of, kind of, uh, or just before that, we've kind of created our uh, CDP or a central data ma- data mart, which is a, uh, you know, unified customer uh, interface where the entire customer data mm. is uh, stored and seen. This is a on-premise data mart, uh, so to say. And, but that's uh, a regulatory thing, right? You can't go off-premise. No, no, no. It's not a regulatory yeah. thing. It's uh, uh, there, a there have been, yeah, it's a choice uh, due to security reasons more than anything else. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, there are some banks who have kind of moved to cloud also. So uh, it's a, a conscious uh, decision that mm. has been taken. Uh, and then we have campaign management, which is on cloud. Sure. So um, we are able to, and, and it has uh, been quite challenging creating this data because we've been a legacy bank and uh, there, uh, you know, um, the um, robustness of the data, uh, right from like it's over 94 years. Sure. So that they had a lot of work had to happen to create this robustness mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, incomplete data, missing contactability and so on and so forth, which has kind of uh, to a large part been achieved. And we do have so this, this 
something Central. you initiated or you kind of stepped yes, into it so half at all? Where was this? Uh, no, You've no, been here so, for a while, right, about a year and a half. Now. Right. So it has been initiated uh, soon after I joined, okay. and then ever since we've been running segmented campaigns. So this is what you're saying is, uh, you know, uh, you very well know that days. You know, you need to have a centralized data system because there's yeah, nothing yeah. you can do without it. And hence, one of the first startups you picked up was to unify data. Right. And in that process, you said that there was a bunch of missing components. Let's say there was missing contactability and so on. So, uh, what are the different data sources that you are able to bring together to this centralized data bank now? So, in fact, uh, all the data sources can be mm-hmm. brought together. It is uh, kind of integrated with our core banking uh, platform, which sure. gives the transaction uh, mm-hmm. data of the customer. Uh, engagement data is there through our dashboards and all sure. of that and our campaign management tool. Mm-hmm. We also have behavioral data. So, kind mm-hmm. of we get that sense of internally all the data segments, of course. And all the different product uh, level engagements as well, yes. like who has what and who... Yes. Want in, in that yes. Yes. Absolutely. So it's all come together. It's all come together. Hmm. So to that level, uh, we do have that unified uh, look. Uh, in terms of what you said, there are se- several businesses and several objectives and several. So each of them have uh, have their own uh, business uh, deliverables and marketing services. All of them, even within the team, there are several. Uh, uh, you know, uh, even within my team, there are business marketing. Uh, you know, spokes which are attached. So they work very closely with the business. And, uh, you know, uh, we are running several campaigns. But in uh, we are not overloading one individual customer. So that's the beauty of segmented campaigns and cohort-based campaigns. So you are only getting what is relevant to you. So as a single customer, you are not going to get... One customer who might be relevant for 20 different things and those 20 different businesses are probably going to ask of marketing and I have my targets to meet, solve for it. So, how do you decide that priority as to who's going to get So, see, at a customer level, we are conscious about not overloading the customer Mm. with too much uh, communication. So, uh, actually, at a weekly level, let's say we may run around five, six campaigns in a week. Mm. At a customer level, we would ensure that in a week, they would get around one or two, not more than two communications. So, that is also controlled at a customer level Mm. as well. So, which are these two then? And how does that get decided systematically? So that could be a random uh, allocation okay. based on uh, if the a campaign has just got out, hmm. then that customer will not receive the next campaign or you will be scheduled to receive it after some time. So, so in some sense, uh, more scheduling slash cadence driven that, okay, uh, the first two that went out as far as his segment was concerned, after that you put a pause yeah, in some yeah, sense. Yeah. And typically from a engine that makes it run in terms of the kind of follow-through processes. So you have, let's say, one campaign that I've received as a consumer. Let's say I'm being offered a car loan. Now I might react to it, do something and probably not complete the whole journey. I might not respond to it at all. So what typically happens in both these scenarios? Uh, if I react to it in some fashion, then somebody somewhere would do something. How would it play out? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, you know, um, I mean, uh, all our campaigns are kind of uh, integrated with uh, proper tracking uh, mechanisms. Sure. So, uh, and we kind of tend to use multiple channels. So, if, like you said, if uh, uh, a customer has not really opened an email, hmm. uh, it there would be a follow-up communication maybe through a different channel like sure. an SMS or a hmm. notification and stuff like that. So, we normally, uh, for all the campaigns, there is a waterfall across uh, and channels. And you've seen incremental value and from using this? Yes. Or is this is more heuristic uh, yes. driven at this no, point? No, Can this make sense? No, we do see value. And maybe uh, there would be three levels uh, across channels. And we do see, like, sometimes people are more 
likely to open an email versus some are more likely to see an sms so sure. we use that uh, uh, you know in in terms of those who have not reacted or uh, engaged with one channel we do you know, you'd find it now, very interesting the fact that uh, you're so easily saying that we must use multiple channels yeah. a lot of brands and companies are still sitting on the fence with respect to okay do i need to use more channels is this too spammy is this too creepy we've at our level seen a lot of incremental delta by adding one channel at a time in terms of not to say that there's a broadcast uh, blast messaging but the, you use the word waterfall appropriately yes. that okay you have to have a systematic orchestration across multiple channels but you can't live in that world where you'll say i'll only use email i'll only use this i'll only use that because that's not how the audience thinks so which is where uh, i'm i'm quite happy that you're able to acknowledge this that this is a learning uh, from a data driven outcome as well that you're able to use multiple channels that gives you incremental benefit i think for the benefit of uh, the larger audience as well the other thing that you very clearly stated outright as a very obvious thing was the fact that unified data was your starting point pretty much the moment you took over the cmo you said that, okay this needs to happen before much else can be done so for anybody who's still sitting on the fence on unified data it's a uh, there's no brainer you have to do it there's no way out of it is that a statement we can uh, yes, attribute course. to you <laughs> <laughs> definitely and coming to your second part of the question of people who have responded to the communication uh, probably there there would be a call to action which would lead to a either a landing page or uh, it would you know it's integrated with our crm so if it's a landing page and the customer kind of puts in a lead or puts in a request it would uh, uh, you know the crm team would then land up calling them for the fulfillment so, of that product so, so everything is kind is, of tracked. you know in a year and a half there's a fair bit of sophistication that i can see you brought to the table from where it started off uh, from where it started probably not even have the like unified data platform also in place is that where it was before you came in uh, yeah so we were creating a unified data platform we had started segmented campaigns and uh, you know when i came in we were doing cohort based and mm. specific campaigns subsequently uh, we upgraded and started doing automated campaigns which have worked very well for us sure. as well uh, of course we Automation have a, works well remember that yeah of course we have a long way ahead of course uh, our uh, next step or uh, you know in the coming year we want to Uh, you know, get into a very evolved Martech so platform. I'd love to get into what that Nirvana picture looks like for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it. So yeah, so uh, we do want to get into uh, the next level of uh, getting a Martech stack appropriate for our organization. Uh, with, uh, I mean, and like you said, the Nirvana or the ideal picture would be one which is truly mm-hmm. omni-channel, real time, and which can deliver. Uh, you know. micro cohorts and personalization at scale sure. so if i may put it yeah, in a nutshell there's a lot of jargon for a lot of people <laughs> but sure i can understand that you fully know what you're talking about and yeah. what this would translate yeah. into we, we, we were talking about the whole nirvana picture right so we, and we spoke about it in an abstract fashion where this is hyper personalization and where there is automation there is scale and those components uh i wouldn't get into naming the banks who you kind of would want to uh, like model on but what are the best ideas you've seen come together in the whole experience you know as a as a consumer you might have received a message from a bank which told you these guys know what they're doing and how they're doing it or an experience from the mobile application from another bank where you thought that this is great how do i solve it yeah so there are uh, i think uh, a lot of organization has evolved on the tech curve mm-hmm. and uh, you know gone other days where uh, you know uh, irrelevant communication was given of course uh, It's still it still does. <laughs> okay, so uh, but what we also do at South Indian Bank is uh, we are very uh, careful in terms of that's what I'm saying. So uh, 
it's all about uh, giving the right message at the right time to the right set of customers it's incredibly so, hard right if you think about it because it's not is... really because there are tools and there are models and uh, to help you with that uh, so okay let's so, talk about the people side of things now when you came yeah. into the picture i'm assuming you also had a chance to expand the team in a certain fashion to yes. kind of solve for some of these problems because they're not for a 90 year old bank they know a lot of things but i'm not sure if they always knew MarTech and CDP and tech and data, right? So how do you go about either, let's say, assembling the team from internally, whatever you had available, slash bringing in people from outside, slash upskilling? What was your people playbook? Yeah, so there, uh, I have a mixed team. There are a lot of people who are in house uh, who are being nurtured and trained and really good people. And then there are some specialist roles where we have uh, gone into hiring from outside people who have existing experience in those functions. So, it's a high from the new economy or traditional banking system. No, no, no. From any across industries mm-hmm. in that function. So, in that sense, it's a hybrid team and it's mm-hmm. a pretty good team. Um, so that's how uh, we've delivered. In in terms of South Indian Bank at the stage of uh, technology, stay that it was in before. Mm-hmm. I was. I'm. I'm. Although it's a legacy bank, it's extremely tech savvy yeah. so you will you may be uh, surprised to know that 94% of transactions are digital run, digitally done even okay. today in in south indian bank and even so the consumer initiates them on a digital interface yes yes okay and a digital means across channels i'm talking sure. about uh, you know all channels digital it would so also when include you had an app for example yeah so the app is there for quite a long time yeah. uh, quite a while and it's a really good app mm. uh, in terms of the user interface and it's available in uh, eight languages sure. which is okay. which is not uh, the case with most uh, banks That's very right. few banks have that and uh, it's a pretty good uh, intuitive app with good no, users you wonder but what's your uh, customer persona and what's the segment of market that south indian bank kind of stands focused on because it's a large market, fairly compared. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's yeah. a certain niche and persona and audience segment that you've chosen for, or yeah. at least focused so, on. See, like I'm, like I told you, uh, we have three generations of customers banking with us over, yeah. and it's a 94 year old uh, legacy bank. Um, so uh, the focus is to you know appeal and uh, you know address and the uh, needs of the younger segment. Mm-hmm. We are largely targeting Gen Z's and the millennials and that would be my focus target segment in all the uh, communication that we do sure. because that is they are the customers of tomorrow or today rather and uh, they've completely changed uh, the behavior is drastically different from the uh, earlier generations and uh, the way they look at banking is also very very different so mm. it's very important that we uh, have to be nimble and agile and, uh, you know, uh, be in line with this expectation level of the Gen Z's. So that's... Hmm. So which is then going to put you against some of the other guys who are probably new banks born three years ago, but then addressing yes. the so-called unique needs of but, the Gen But uh, very importantly, the new banks don't have the uh, legacy or the trust factor that we own over mm. so many years. So that's where I think we have the, uh, you know, additional yeah, strength. Us. In fact, we've just launched our new campaign also, mm-hmm. which precisely says this. It says, trust meets tech since 1929. So um, uh, we have, we own the trust of uh, customers over uh, nine decades. 
and we are tech savvy and in line with well, the I would imagine from a data science point of view you own an insane amount of data as well because yeah. to build a whole lot of risk models around who to give loan to at what price typically any bank would discover a whole bunch of npas before they get to that understanding now you've done that over several years so in terms of your ability to underwrite loans might be very different from somebody else's so i would imagine for a young guy if he's looking out for his first loan you might be better place to give him one uh, the best price compared to what a neo bank might be would that be a no not necessarily the uh, uh, pricing decisions are taken at a different level and uh, in some cases we would be really competitive maybe right. not in some cases hmm. uh, uh, neo banks uh, where they have an edge really is the customer experience hmm. uh, the user experience is extremely simple and uh, easy to use uh so that's where uh, you know we are heading towards that mm. our interface is quite user friendly especially our uh, mobile app mm-hmm. uh but of course uh, we can do better so you know i'm going to zoom into a part of customer relationship because uh, so you know typically for a bank in my in you know i was having a conversation with uh, deepak from hdfc bank and he told me in very candid terms that when you open an account with me i owe you money as a bank right so it's not making money for me yet that's not where the relationship is meaningful for me the relationship becomes meaningful for me when you take a loan from me because that's when you're going to pay me interest and that's where the bank earns from now in your scenario there is all of this effort on acquiring customers and getting more people to either install the application or set up an account and put their first balance in and this is a funnel where there have there be drop offs so at a macro level if you were to really look at expanding customer relationship as a goal which is once you've acquired a customer you have to get to a point where he is meaningful for you uh where are the biggest pain points or problem areas where you see the most amount of your attention being spent or at least your team's bandwidth or mental bandwidth being spent uh, let's say the entry point of a customer is a savings account and he's a savings account customer he has a certain amount of balance with us and he's doing a certain level of transaction so pro- i mentioned earlier the number of products or hooks that are there for each customer is extremely important even to for customer stickiness and retention uh I think industry average would be anything between three to three point five products per customer, and hmm. that should be our. That's NBA. the average that uh, a typical relationship would have. Or that's yeah, the bank, aspirational state where you would want to move people towards. Um, so that that would be an in the av- average industry benchmark, mm-hmm. around three products uh, per customer. So if we have a savings account customer and also has a gold loan with me. Hmm. also is available a home loan hmm. plus an insurance and that's that's where that customer will uh, be a profitable customer will be a valued customer from the bank's point of view fair enough so, so if you were to zoom into the journey of this guy getting acquired to a savings account customer yeah. and uh, the kind of journey you kind of steer him towards to uh, in order to become a valuable customer for the bank what would that look like what are the behaviors that you will encourage For instance, I heard the whole uh, payment setup on auto pay of electricity bill is one of the stickiness components. Is what I'd heard. Hmm. In your case, have you discovered some of these stickiness components? That yeah, yeah. So some of the stickiness components is uh, digital adoption is a big component. Hmm. A customer who is uh, digitally um, onboarded is eighty percent uh, more sticky. Then so saying customer. who's set up an account on the website or installed the so mobile no, application? So no, who's activated on internet banking, mobile app? Hmm. Who's using our digital channels primarily hmm. will be far more, uh, you know, will stay with you far longer than a customer who's still using the physical channels. Hmm. That's why digital adoption is a very, very important goal for marketers hmm. like us. For us, um, the other thing is the number of products hmm. that are there for each customer. That also uh, ensures a lot of stickiness. The onboarding 
uh, of a customer is very critical the first 90 days of a new customer if if you are able to successfully or the customer is able to do four to five transactions across debits and credits in the first 90 days uh, that customer is more likely to remain with you over a longer so period of time. What do you do to engineer that? Yeah, so we have a full automated life cycle uh, onboarding uh, hmm. campaign. Uh, which kind of spans over 90 days mm -hmm. uh, right from when the day uh, zero is the day of the account opening to the 90 days where uh, you know nudges are uh, given to the customers to enable these uh, transactions so in the initial 10-15 uh, days it would be to uh, create awareness about all our services all our products all our channels uh, the focus would be to make him digitally active to get him to open the mobile app to get him to uh, use the debit card to uh, use internet banking um, and uh, uh, the next uh, uh, like uh, one month to 45 days would focus on doing transactions uh, that's where like uh, you know even simple transactions through the mobile app we have uh, 100 plus billers onboarded mm. uh, through our bill payment it's extremely simple very simple to do a upi transaction through the mobile app or a fund transfer or a, a investment and all of that so though to get them to actively use any of our channels and then once the banking stage or the transaction stage then the next phase of that 90 or uh, 90 day period would be to get them to do investments and uh, you know get them to avail insurance and third party products so that entire journey is completely automated um, with the right nudges all based on the customer's transaction behavior you know of all the people who open the account how many end up with three products at the end of 90 days more than three products it's about end up with Four five, to five transactions. transactions yeah. Say five transactions. Yeah, so there is uh, a good number. At least uh, 50, 60 percent uh, would be, uh, yeah. And in terms of the aggression on the acquisition side of things, are you the most aggressive marketers to be acquiring more in my customers? Because what tends to happen typically is when there is a some sort of incentivization on like, opening accounts, people tend to open, but then they don't maintain the relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting 60% of them back, probably then that's great. But uh, I wonder if that's happening at scale with aggression. Or is that still No, no. So modest? there is no mis-selling or incentivization or done so that way. Quality is extremely important, mm. uh, especially over the last uh, two years. Uh, we've got, uh, we had a new MD in place and there's a whole transformation happening and there's an immense focus on the quality of accounts acquired. Mm. Predominantly on the asset side to prevent, uh, you know, NPAs and all of that, but also for liabilities. Mm. To acquire a good quality customer, which makes you know, also sense from the bank. Sure. So it's not just go out and get any customer mm, kind mm. of a philosophy. So we do... So while you uh, want to grow aggressively, but be mindful yeah, of the quality. Absolutely. Where absolutely. That's where the, of the value the customer right? price. Because if you get a customer uh, who's uh, started a relationship, but is not using you as a primary bank, that actually is a loss-making customer mm. for the bank. So well, would you then imagine that... Uh, this is people who are using this as the first bank account because a whole bunch of young people would be opening their first accounts now or is this typically their second or third or fourth yeah, bank account but they'll make it primary? Correct. It could be so on an average. Uh, so while banking in the industry uh, as compared to other industries has a retention or loyalty percentage of 75% which is uh, pretty high compared to other industries though loyalty as a concept is 
fading uh, as uh, time goes by uh, having said that with even with that advantage what happens in a banking relationship is it's not just one relationship so typically a customer will definitely have at least two to three banks yeah. uh, at any point of time so it's ex- uh, the the challenge is in becoming the primary banker of the customer uh, which means that you he should use you for most of his banking yeah, relationships yeah. and that is uh, quite a challenging task uh, because uh, like i said uh, if uh, you know something anything falls short the customer is very easily will switch relationships we'll switch. and yeah. go to the other bank they don't even have to open an account because they already have three banking relationships at this point of time so it becomes very easy to switch over from one to the other that's where customer stickiness plays a big role and that's where all these elements of you know onboarding automated campaign pro- number of products digital and of course the entire customer experience the servicing levels and so on play a role comprehensive and complicated yeah, problem yeah, yeah. so you know i'm going to step back a little bit and now look at uh, life on from a cohorts and segments point of view because you have so many of them and you could slice and dice customers by several variables right we have a, a predictive uh, a modeling at hmm. play hmm. Uh, where we there is a data science team sure. which uh, marketing works very closely with and they uh, you know derive these predictive modeling tools okay yeah. so the whole idea there is to identify the right cohort for mm. the right product at, at that mm. period of time and uh, it kind of uh, uh, ident- you know gets calls out that cohort and identifies them as you know so then they would medium mm. high low propensity uh, to buy uh, propensity to mm. buy that product and the idea is to identify that 30% or 20% of the customer base who is uh likely to buy capacity. 80% of that product sure. and just to give you an example mm. uh, if i want uh, um, nri customers to uh, opt for fcnr deposits so again there is this through this uh, propensity modeling uh, that cohort of nris even within the segment of nris that specific cohort who is most likely to avail fcnr would be called out and then we would probably market or communicate to them and see the conversions Fair we've enough. seen that works really well yeah. uh, and that uh, gives really great results so how big is this data science team uh, it's now been around for a while what's the setup like uh, again they um, it got, kind of got into place at the same time around a year and a half back okay. um, so data science was also set up as a, hmm. a separate team uh, and how big is this team now uh, would be around 10 Ten odd people, meaningful at least people. from a yeah, yeah, number yeah. of people's Absolutely. perspective. When you talk about propensity modeling, yeah, so obviously yeah, the yeah. underlying data unification would have helped them yeah, yeah, get yeah. all of these different variables together. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're saying it's delivering substantial incremental value. Yeah, yeah. Well, automatically, if I have a higher propensity to buy gold, I mean to take a gold loan, then I'm better off being promoted that instead of a car loan, which I might have a very low yeah, propensity yeah, towards. Yeah, yeah. So very interesting. So what you're saying is uh, the data science team would be able to deliver these propensity scores, and you're able to incorporate that in your uh, campaign. Yeah, yeah. So even from the cross sell perspective. perspective if i want to um there is a segment of customers who have taken a gold loan with us and now i want to uh, uh, you know induce them for personal loans they are likely to take personal loans so th- there will be a, you know data mining at play to identify the right cohort who is most likely to avail a pl so it sounds so extremely scientific and amazing yeah, now yeah, yeah. i was wonder how this sits with a traditional verticalized ecosystem where the guy who is responsible for selling let's say gold loans 
now would end up being constrained by the kind of outcome that the data model is throwing up. So from a business plan and target setting and a you know, goals perspective, how do you factor that, okay, this is a universe of high propensity gold loan buyers from my current customers. So whatever else this guy needs to solve for, he's to solve from acquisition. How does this uh, interplay work? So see, both the channels are actively at play at the same time. Right. Uh, 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 the acquisition team is constantly focusing on acquiring new customers. And that's a huge channel. At the same time, hmm. the... Uh, you know, like I told analysis. you, it's about ERV and extracting the right. Hmm. So that is also a channel. Like it both all the channels adds are up from play. a business side point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gold loan is a huge. Uh, uh, it's a very uh, big segment for us. Sure. So uh, definitely, we would look at. Uh, it could also be the other way around. So you could look at the uh, segment of customers who have taken a PL with you and uh, you know basis the data mining they are hmm. very likely to avail a gold loan the beauty about gold loan is it's extremely simple sure minimal documentation you enter a branch in half an hour you can uh, uh, avail a gold loan and line. you go and in terms of renewal of your existing gold loan to a Meroblas app it can be done in five hmm. minutes okay you know there's a lot of so-called maturity in the pricing of loans now which is apparently happening in the lending industry which is the the rate that you get or whatever terms you get tend to be sweeter if you have a great history vis-a-vis -vis not such a great history right so that's what i'm trying to understand that from a bank's point of view is that something that you care about look at actively want to move towards yeah so it's uh, of course rates is very important and mm. we are uh, competitive when it comes to rates but that's not the only decision making criteria sure. there would be a whole lot of uh, factors involved like mm. trust the ease mm. of availing that loan um, the relationship value that you have with the bank is a very big part of it the servicing that the bank uh, gives and like for example our personal loans uh, through our uh, uh, SIB Mira Plus app uh, you can literally get the credit in your account within 10 seconds sure. if you are um, up yeah, so what makes you wonder is when you're dealing with this Gen Z which is sort of more fickle minded yeah. sort of not as big on loyalty in the relationship how does it work differently if at all so that's where customer experience comes into play mm. uh, and that's why uh, we are, uh, you know, so to say tech savvy and uh, more and more digitized to mm. enhance the customer experience mm. uh, with, with across all touch points, so whether it's the website, it whether it's, it's easy because it's convenient and obviously the trust is of table yes, six, right? Yes, would, yes. Also the relationship. The, so mm. if you see people do have... Uh, um, if you're an existing customer and you're using, you're a primary banker for the existing customer, they would tend to uh, get uh, loans or additional products from you, even if you may be higher on the rates. Hmm. Because there is an inherent uh, A, trust and a very strong Switching is relation. a certain amount of effort. Yeah. So in the world where uh, this is my primary bank and a dominant part of what I consume as products, sure. My next part would likely be first asked from this bank yeah, before I would absolutely. consider anybody else. And that's a good space to be in where you have a large base which is, so to speak, loyal with you. You have a large share of the uh, ERV as you put it, right? These guys are going to come yeah. to you first for anything yeah. new they ask. But how you evolve this uh, in the new growth segment that the, the number of new customers that you're going to acquire this year, the mix would look probably a little different from what your 94-year history absolutely. the mix looks like, right? Yeah. And for this audience, if you were to change a few things uh, and all the people who are back, you know, trying to address the same audience, what are the few things that you think are uh, have to be looked at differently? So experience for sure, the UI UX has to be very differently thought through in terms of simplification. That's one. 
what else do you think would be the top of the list? Yeah, so UI, UX, uh, uh, personalized uh, offers and personalized communication. Sometimes uh, we would have a you know different UI, UX depending on the profile. Offers, of, you know, I'm going to double click on that because it yeah. came from you. So that's yeah. kind of where you look at somebody like a Netflix or an Amazon. Now, if you look at their homepage or the movies you Absolutely. see over the programs, I see a very different. Yeah. Right? And this guy is used to that, right? He's not uh, demanding that. He's expecting that. He knows that this is how, I mean, you know my entire history. So I expect you to know what to offer to me. And that's kind of where I would love to understand that when you talk about a personalized offer, there are several variables that are at play that, okay, I know his income stream. I know his geography. I know his gender. I know his age bracket. You know, several things. And that could translate into a variety of offers that could be there. And the offers in a banking ecosystem could mean either brand offers or it could mean offers of products within the bank that I'm going to give you slightly extra delta on a gold loan. So what does this offer portfolio look like? What is the combination of variables that you can utilize to personalize an offer, for example? So uh, what I meant was that uh, it's personalized to your behavior. It's personalized to which which would include uh, data analysis from, of course, demographics, income, profile, also your transaction behavior, the amount of balances you have, the number of transactions, the offer, like if you are availing, uh, if there's a pre-approved offer given to an ex-customer, uh, maybe a different offer, not necessarily rates, even the value would be hmm. different for you, different for another customer. So the value part of it could modify basically data science model uh, potentially. Yeah, this absolutely. guy can be given a 10 lakh. Also giving it at the right time is also important. Like you had mentioned hmm. earlier, uh, at your life stage, you don't really want a 45,000 loan. So that's all that is, all that has to, you know, come into play. Yeah, you have to also understand the life stage of the Mm. customer, Mm. the needs of the customer. And uh, so everything together is where your customized or personalized offer comes in. So uh, what the authority is being offered would probably come in from the personalization model in the data science team as to what is the likelihood of purchase, which is also a reflection of what do I probably care the most about at this point in my life and stage. And then uh, within the component of, let's say, a personal loan being offered to me, the value of the limit would be uh, smartly thought through instead of... uh, just being a flat number for everyone. Right, absolutely. So you're saying that uh, a teenager might be offered a different value of personal absolutely. loan compared to somebody who's at a certain different lifestyle and also from the other variables in terms of income stream and this and that. So the value gets uh, changed and uh, that's the personalization we're talking about. And this is getting engineered in the data science setup and this is getting delivered by the MarTech on the front end. That's kind of what we're talking about. Right, absolutely. Yeah, interesting. And you know, what would be the next stage of evolution of this? So the value is dynamic. I open the app, you open the app, we see different loans being offered to us. What is the next leap in this? Oh, so next leap would be personalized. So let's say uh, if I'm a Gen Z customer, the look of the app itself is different for me. It's customized to me. The The features that are shown are customized. The, the colors or the skin is customized and all of that because it should also resonate with the... The personality? Uh, the, yeah. So, you know, we spoke about a bunch of uh, technology choices you would have made along the way in terms of uh, putting together the stack that you have now in place. What are the key decision criteria? How do you choose and what kind of mistakes can happen which you think people can avoid? Yeah. So, see, you know, this uh, um, technology is evolving at a super, super fast speed. And, uh, you know, there's so many players and big and small and providing so many different solutions, it can all get quite intimidating for a marketer. So, um, you know, 
there are certain things that I think one should look out for uh, when it comes to the next stage of adopting a Martech stack. And first and foremost is please align with the organizational goals. So uh, we may get, uh, you know, um, carried away, if I may say so, and get the best stack and the best, uh, most expensive with all the solutions, but we may not be able to maximize usage of it and uh, it may not align with the goals of your organization. So alignment with the goals of your organization are very important. And I would say uh, uh, a gradual adoption is preferred instead of going all out and doing everything in in one go. Mm. Take into account certain um, whatever limitations or processes that are there in your organization. So for instance, for us, uh, uh, since we are a legacy bank, uh, uh, data robustness is something that we would want to keep in mind um, for the uh, stack adoption because mm. that is clearly the most important part of it. So, you know, once our robustness is in place or the data is robust, that would be one integral part. Also, alignment with the existing systems of the hmm. bank, especially in legacy players uh, so and, and the in, and integration of the systems hmm. should be also taken into so consideration. So, be typically data brought into the MarTech and data sent out back Yeah, to the, the entire thing, stitching everything together, hmm. all your channels, your core banking platform, your campaign hmm. management, your analytics tool, everything. This can, like you said, be a little intimidating this. to look at everything yeah, at once, yeah. right? So, would you kind of break this down into a sequence of what is must-have integration on day zero versus what keeps building up? You know, for all I care, you might want a customer care call center logs also to get integrated into your MarTech, right? Yeah. So, uh, in terms of the uh, future adoption mm. of uh, MarTech, you're saying? So, from a data integration standpoint, uh, yeah. you said that you must make sure when you're choosing your MarTech, all of this data is getting stitched together. Mm -hmm. Now, would you do this all at once or would you sequence this out a little bit? No. See, what is very important is... We all already mentioned that customer single view and data mm. repository in one place is absolutely sure. important. Uh, integrating it with your uh, communication channels, it may not be omni-channel in one go, mm. but that's the end viewer. Mm. So that can be uh, phased out basis sure. your this. Uh, analytics is something that has to be there because otherwise you won't get sight of what's absolutely. working and whatnot. And integration with your core systems, banking mm. systems. These, there are certain things which are essential and then you can roll out to more evolved platforms in a gradual way is what I would say. So one of the things, please submit. Yeah, no, the other thing is also, uh, you know, uh, optimizing the usage of it. So there's no point taking a whole lot of uh, solutions and you're not able to optimize Which it or use it optimally. Trainings of your team to be able to, hmm. you know, uh, use it. So these are some of the... Yeah, so within that, I'm going to zoom into two key pointers uh, that we frequently observe. So one part is what you described as the adoption. Now, typically with most smart tech stacks, most people end up using 20% of the actual value of the platform. Somewhere because uh, the organizational maturity slash upskilling that's needed mm -hmm. on the part of the people does not get the uh, requisite attention slash mindshare. And also because it's a relatively new subject if you think about it, because compared to a general advertising or a customer acquisition play, which has now become a 15-20 year old industry, even on the digital side, compared to a creative advertising, which is a much more mature kind of setup where people have thoughts and maturity and playbooks. Adopting MarTech is still fairly new to most people in India, mm -hmm. which means the ability to translate those ideas, firstly to have those ideas and then to translate them to actual executed setup itself is a bit of uh, evolution. And we, where we see people investing quite substantially in the stack, but not 
as substantially in the people side of things. So what you're saying is be very cognizant of the choice where you're taking a stack, but then also investing in people to use that stack. Right. And uh, the other aspect was one of the things we've also noticed people talk about frequently is uh, there, are the, uh, there are these complex systems which tend to have a fairly large but very integrated single offering that they'll solve 20 things for you mm-hmm. all from the single platform. And I would compare this to the world of uh, pre-built lap computers. Those times when we used to buy like an HP or a compact computer, which is comprehensive, which has a bunch of things it does. But, uh, but you know, when I had gone to a, uh, my college and when we bought our first computer, I ended up buying my RAM, my motherboard, my CPU, my this separately, and I assembled my computer right. the way I wanted it. And now what we're increasingly seeing, even in the enterprise and legacy ecosystem, is the same as like yourself are savvy enough to say, okay, I don't want one giant solution. I'm going to pick up the best of each piece of my puzzle that I want to solve for. Uh, so that and I, I will make it talk to each other nicely. At some point, if I feel that this piece is not working well, I'm able to remove it and replace it with something else. But the largest of solutions are good with some things. They're not with the greatest with everything. And that's the thing that we're seeing evolve. What's your observation on this? Yeah, yeah, you're, um, you're absolutely right in, in the sense uh, uh, there's no sense going for everything in one go. The best uh, uh, case situation in one go, it's better to start small and then mm. gradually optimize and scale it up is how I would think. Also, it's also a huge investment in the sense. Uh, so we have to be prudent about how we are uh, getting Absolutely. into this. And after all, uh, it'll we'll have to justify the ROI as well. Awesome. So here we have a CMO who's been 26 years in the industry, but she's kept her learning curve very, very clearly intact in terms of making sure she understands everything that's happening in the ecosystem and is on top of the change that's happening. Thank you so much for doing this as well. So well, that was a fairly insightful session for me, especially learning the new terms and terminologies used in the banking industry. So we've seen uh, the amount of hunger Asmat has shown in terms of learning how the Martech ecosystem is evolving, how personalization is to play a role, how propensity modeling and data science teams come together to unify customer experience. Quite an exciting conversation. I also understand the fascination as well as almost the compulsion to work with the Gen Z's expectations of a highly personalized and tailored customer experience, which is the order of the day and everyone has to get up for it. The fact that she is already looking out to evolve her game to the next level after having built a customer data platform and a certain level of segmentation and personalization in the last one and a half years is quite impressive. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this fascinating and useful for your journey.